In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode number 95, One Way or Another. I almost broke into song just then. Gonna get ya. Yeah. Get ya, get Get ya. Get ya, get ya, get ya. One way? Or another. Or a different way. Yeah. I feel like um, this might be Ziggy's theme song, who is sitting in front of us right now, Mm -hmm. playing with the microphone cord Mm -hmm. that is between us. Um, I feel like he likes the, I'm going to get you. Yeah. Get you, get you, get you. One way or another, I'm going to be a part of this. <laughs> so you either let me or I force it. I'm going to be a star, babies. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you think, isn't it, Ziggy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's time. Well, given your name, I mean. It's, yeah. It's kind of your destiny. Stardom is in there. Yeah. 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 Well, Aaron, why did you pick this song? You know, Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. It came up on my playlist. And then, you know, sometimes you hit a song that you haven't heard in a long time and then it just sticks with you. Yes. Yes. It's like discovering it all over again. You just play Mm -hmm. it, play it, play it. So that was part of it. It was in my head. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, it's kind of a great theme. It's a terrific theme. Relentless Pursuits. Yes. Characters that won't give up. Won't get you. Gonna get you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked up the lyrics to this song? <laughs> Is it just a bunch of gitches yeah. over and over again? Yeah, okay. there's not okay. a lot. There's some weird, like, I'm going to follow you to the grocery store. Like, what? Okay. You know, if this had been sung by a man, it'd be creepy as fuck. That's what I thought the whole time. I was rereading the lyrics. I'm like, this is, I mean, all right. Hey, it's Blondie, and Blondie is terrific. It could either be, you really like me, and you're going to get me, or you could be a hitman. Yeah. And you could be announcing your intention to get me. Yes. Which means murder me. Murder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You take it how you want. (laughs) So much. It's open for so much interpretation. We're not necessarily talking about murder today. But hey, we're talking about, yeah, relentlessness, pursuit, drivenness, all of those things. Yes. So Aaron. Yes. Have you ever relentlessly pursued something either successfully or unsuccessfully? Uh, yes. Well, okay. Let me, let me preface that. Okay. I'm going to, this is like, it made me think of the very first time that I felt like I had a real drive, like Mm. something was really bothering me Mm -hmm. and I wanted, and it wasn't necessarily like a work pursuit, but it was, I want to say it was my sophomore year of college and you had to take this class um, at the college I went to that was a personal wellness class. And it was like a four credit, you had to go every day, four days a week. And there was a lab component like of it. Gym class. Or it something. was. That's Ugh. essentially what it was. Like there was a lab component where you were like learning sports or learning healthy habits. And you then there was 18 like 18 years old. You were past that shit. Yes. Ugh. And then there was a nutrition. So now keep in mind that this was some time ago. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure that this would have gone the same way now. Okay. But 
we did this thing where they like analyzed your body. Basically. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I bet so many eating disorders were born that day. Well, that's what, so we got the paper and I got, we're all there and it had your BMI on it and it Ugh. would tell you where you fell without really any information. And I had this very distinct moment of sitting in class and being like, this isn't right. Yeah. Like I don't, there's other fact. Even then, I understood enough to know like there's other factors. Just this here. number is not yeah, and this my just health. doesn't yeah. seem helpful to give college students who we know are very prime mm-hmm. for that. And so I went set up an appointment with my teacher after class. Whoa! And said, "Hey, I feel really uncomfortable with this. Like, can you explain to me why this is a part of class?" Good for you, eighteen-year-old really, Aaron. Yeah, didn't get very far. Oh. So I moved up one step. Whoa. And I went to the head of the department and I said, I don't understand this. I don't, I think that this is dangerous. Didn't get very far. So I thought, well, surely my advisor should know about this. So I met with my advisor. Didn't really get anywhere. Oh my God. And I thought, well, maybe I need to attack it from like the counseling department. Uh-huh. Like, cause they're going to see, I would imagine a lot. Like the mental of, health counseling. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went that aspect and some agreement that it probably wasn't the best way but it was still under this guise of like it's overall health it's supposed to be give you the power to do all this and i remember feeling really frustrated because it was one of the first times i can remember thinking this is really important and you're really actually going to do damage Mm -hmm. and no one's listening yeah and there was nowhere to go it was like just being brushed off because like oh idealistic college student who thinks that this is wrong like what so that was mostly the reaction it's like okay i had no idea cute that how long it continued after that if they continued printing those papers i assume so because it was the program that they used or whatever i would assume now that they're smarter i sure hope so i would hope but i mean the very fact that a class like that was required is i actually didn't even go that far back but just the fact that i was sitting in a class and someone handed me a sheet of paper with my bmi without knowing me and basically said where I fell and what I needed to do about that. Which, as we know through our reading, the BMI is a very faulty tool. Very it was faulty. never designed to be used in a no. medical setting. It was never designed to be used in the way that we're using it. Yes. So getting a bunch of 18-year-olds scared out of their mind mm-hmm. for no good reason. And I remember being very frustrated because there was some homework assignment attached to it because i remember part of my argument was i don't understand how you can attach this class and this piece of paper to my gpa yeah to something that i use for scholarships that i use for entrance into future parts of my major like i i don't somehow understand. my body is yeah. responsible for mm-hmm. my grades that is so messed up yeah. yeah it was i remember feeling really like frustrated and then just sort of defeated and yeah. like, yeah, well. So I would say it was an unsuccessful pursuit in that but nothing man, changed. man, you went up several levels on the chain. Yeah, I do remember that was one of the first times that I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I have to stay quiet. That's like, fantastic. I think I can say something in this situation. And coming out of a Catholic high school setting, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Because yeah, you were not really yeah. allowed to question a lot, right? No, no, no. no. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah. yeah. But it just seems such a terrible decision. Which it is, yeah. Yeah. And we know, I mean, we've heard from writers and other people who talk about like the, the presidential fitness test scarring them for life. Mm-hmm. So something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure many a, and I many a person is at, messed up. At college, those first couple of years, I mean, you know, I had roommates i had people that i lived with on the floor that i knew were struggling with things like mm-hmm. that and that's partially what i kept thinking of was when this person takes this class and they get this piece of paper yeah what a terrible way to teach wellness yeah so speaking of college mm-hmm. and being you know motivated relentless how did you decide on your major in college well i kind of decided and then kind of just <laughs> so i you know what I've always wanted to do is write. But I knew from a very early age, you don't make money writing. Right. And people need to make money. Mm-hmm. And you have to be practical. Mm-hmm. And you can't follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. Because you grow up in the Midwest and you work, damn it. Mm-hmm. And you be practical. Mm-hmm. So from a, I knew going in, you know, that I had to find something to make money. So I tried English education because, hey, I love books. Yeah. And I thought I'd like teaching. But as I said before on the podcast, I got as far as the practicum and I was like, holy shit, this was a terrible decision. <laughs> These kids want to murder me and I want to murder them. Yeah, it's mutual. It was junior high. It was bad news. Mm, bad, mm-hmm. bad news. Mm-hmm. So after that, like I kept my English major 
And I decided, well, okay, journalism, great. I can make money through that. And so I, you know, went through journalism. Of course, this was at the end of the 90s as print media was really starting to real tank. Yeah. So I didn't make a great move there. <laughs> and then I just added on psychology because I'd just been taking a bunch of classes. So I ended up with three majors that didn't really help make money, but that was the original goal. Okay. So... I feel like that's not an uncommon college story. No, because then, you know... Over time, you just build a career yeah. somehow, some way. And I found my way into writing and everything. But yeah. Do you feel like you knew anyone or you encountered anyone at college that was like, because we're talking about like relentless pursuits that was like, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. I've always wanted to do this. This is what I'm doing. This is my plan. No. I don't either. No. Don't you feel like that's portrayed a lot in it movie is. society? Like, oh, you know, and then you just doggedly go after yes. it. Yes. And yeah, you're right. Like, I think most of us were just like, uh, let's just go drink for a while. <laughs> and then, oh, okay, let's do some classes and some extracurriculars and let's go sing about STDs. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I, I also felt like things are arbitrary. Like, all of a sudden you had to, by this date, you had to know yes. what you were going to do and yes. declare a major. Like, why? Right. Why? Right. Yeah, and it makes no sense. And I, I would be interested. I'm sure there's statistics out there, like the people who declare a major versus the actual people that gain careers in that field. Like how often that happens. So has to be. And I would like to know 5, 10, 15, 20 mm-hmm. years, how many people are still working in those same industries or same jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably not good. No, it can't be. No. No, it's got to be bad, really. <laughs> real bad. Real, real bad. Well, another question for you, Erin. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, maybe they come to that drive because they realize early, like there was some sort of test or something that showed they were gifted or or something like that. Did you ever take an aptitude test in like high school or a career survey? And do you remember what happened? Yeah. uh, Did you ever take the PSATs, like the pre-practice SAT? I think we had to, if I remember correctly, we did it as part of school. Like Mm -hmm. they had set us aside in the library or something. It wasn't something that we had to sign up for. Like they made everyone do it and show like what you would have gotten. And part of it was a career survey at the end. And I got cruise ship director. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking, wait, that's an actual career path that was outlined yeah. in this. T- okay. And I'm like, well, okay. first of all, why do I need to take the SAT if I'm going to be a cruise ship yeah, director? Yeah, no shit. Which I'm sorry, cruise ship directors. Maybe there is a lot more entailed. But the impression that I got is that because, that's not the case. Because we had to sit down with our counselor and like they would go through like your score, what it meant. And then they would go through this like kind of aptitude part. And I remember being told like, oh, yeah, cruise ship. So that's good. Like you're personable. And I'm like, so that mean like I'm just I'm on a cruise and I'm just like, hey, it's bingo. <laughs> hey, shuffleboard's open. And also Check as someone as someone that has known you as an adult for uh-huh. several years now, uh-huh. in no way whatsoever would you enjoy that job. No, no. I don't want to be trapped on in a small area with people. And too many people? Right. Uh, I don't particularly like to be I'm a very organized person yes I I can do itineraries all day long but I don't like to be in charge of people's entertainment like I don't like to feel the pressure of like are you having a good time no 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 I don't no and I would be like the anti-cruise ship director like I if you put maybe a cruise ship director it'd be like in a bad sitcom on Fox Mm, like mm -hmm. she hates her job and she's drunk (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) which I would watch that show yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. but I remember thinking that seems like a really odd and I remember other people talking about what they got, you know, like mechanic and stuff. And I kept thinking, is this like, did they aim really low on this career survey? That is. It's like, weird. we don't want to set them up for too high of a Right. Thing. You can't, you know. So. And also, this feels very Midwest. Like, don't feel too good about yourself. Yeah. Like, here's easy. what you got is a cruise ship You can ship be on director. a cruise ship. And isn't that exotic? Because <laughs> you're from the Midwest. So water and a boat? What? Oh, boy. That's how smart you are. Yes. What? What does that have to do with anything? I'm trying to remember now if we had anything like that, and I don't think so. I'm glad we didn't. I no. think that would have messed me up somehow. If Did I'd you ever a- have like a teacher or a counselor, anyone like say anything like, oh, you should, you're good at this. You should do this. I don't remember a lot of my growing up, I'll be honest. But I did take like aptitude tests. Like I, mm-hmm. I remember in like third or fourth grade taking one and getting into gifted and talented and thinking oh, like, yeah. oh, this is awesome. Basically, because I got to be a giant nerd. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Again, in eighth grade, like I had taken a test, got really high score, got to go to that special school for nerds. So yeah. I was very like, I loved that part. Yeah, like, that's great. They didn't tell me specifically like what, you know, I was going to be when I grew up, which was great. I was just like, I'm going to get these good grades 
and I'm going to feel good for maybe yeah. five minutes, and then I'm going to move on. Yes. And that was, that's really my life now today, too. So. Revised sitcom idea. <laughs> you and I both become cruise ship directors. Oh, shit. That's how we met. Yes. And we're just in be, charge oh of these God. people all the time. I would hate that with a fiery passion. I feel like we would very quickly devolve into creating social experiments. Yeah. Like we'd be like, what if we tell them that oh, boy. the shrimp is imported and it's the best <laughs> shrimp they've ever had? How quick do you think we'll sell out a shrimp? Yeah. I could just see you would open like our, our uh, break room and there'd be like tallies like, you yes. know, we got this many people to cry this cruise. This, oh, you know? that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd have like a bingo board, like, oh, somebody broke their hip, bingo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I would like to like take bets on who's going to hook up over the oh, cruise. Oh, yeah, you that's know? a good like one. Like both the guests and among the, yes. I bet the staff, I bet it's just slutty, slutty times Oh, out yeah, there. it has to be. You're good caught for on them. this boat. Yes. 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 So I would take great pleasure in predicting yeah. all the romantic triangles and whatnot. I mean, to be fair, I do love the show Below Deck. That's so true, maybe you do. they were on to something. Hmm. I don't want to on beyond that. No. There's no part of it that I think, wow, that'd be a fun job. No, it seems horrific. Yeah. But I do enjoy watching it. <laughs> so I think maybe what they should have said is reality TV producer. That's what they should have said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be more mm-hmm. on target. Mm-hmm. We can see the good side and the bad side of passion. Yeah, no kidding. There's, you know, when you think one way or another, I'm going to get you. It, it doesn't have to be that bad of a thing that's no. going to get you. No. But I will say my fiction pick is pretty bad. Okay. Okay. okay good. Not the book itself. No. The thing well, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fiction pick. Mm-hmm. It is called Blue Ticket okay. by Sophie McIntosh. And mm-hmm. this came out last year. And Kala is a young girl and she's waiting for her first period. Hmm. Because when she does get it, it's the start of your life, right? Sure. But here, it's not in the way that we're used to. When her period comes, Kala has to report to a local station. This is somewhere in the UK. She puts her hand in a sort of automated ticket dispenser, and she pulls out her ticket. And she gets a blue ticket, which means that she will be a career woman. And another girl gets a white ticket, which means that she will be a wife and a mother. So depending on these tickets, oh boy. that's what your life is going to be. Okay. So immediately she gets an IUD inserted, mm. and then she's pushed out to make her way on the road to a city to see if she survives to get to the city, and then she can be a career woman. Okay. So we cut to years later. She got there. She's living in the city. She's got a good life, but she is haunted by what if. Right. You know, like what she's haunted by the choice that she wasn't allowed to make. So she pulls out her IUD. Oh. On her own. Oh. Oh. And gets pregnant. Oh. She has broken the rules, so she has to run. She can't live her city life anymore. She has to, you know, escape. So from there, it's a journey through more dangerous roads, through small towns, to a cabin housing other women like her, to a run for the border, and, like, I crossed fingers, like, hopefully it's better on the other side. Like, it seems like in this place they have real no idea of the world outside. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, This is such an interesting concept. It's such a propulsive read. And I chose it for this theme because I think despite everything telling her that she can't, Kala is driven to change her fate. Yeah. She she is driven to become a mother. And she is convincing herself that she will survive danger and potential death all in the name of that. It's very relentless. What's great, though, is that the author, Sophia McIntosh, she kind of creates some nuance here. Like, you know, Kala herself wonders, like, does she really want to be a mom? Or is it just because she is not allowed to be a mom that this right. is attractive? Okay. You know? Yeah. She meets other women that feel the same way. Like, they were, they got the white ticket. So they're a wife and mother. And they're like, I don't want to do that. I, don't, mm. I have no desire. But is it really about desire? Or is it about, you know, what you can't have? Right. What you're allowed to have. So I love this idea that this world, like, sees how impossible it is to be the woman who has it all yeah. and just decides, nope, no one has it all. You get this or this. Yeah. And then, you know, some good stuff, some bad stuff. Wow. From that. That's a great premise. Yeah. So I, I recommend this. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's real good, Aaron. It's a real good book. Oh, I just 
you made me laugh. I recommend this. That is the whole. That is the whole theme That's of our why podcast. We have this podcast yeah, yeah. Is because I'm recommending. This. You're recommending Wouldn't it be funny it? if after all of that I said I don't recommend. I don't. This. It's tough to read. Yeah. It, I mean, it's well written, but it is as tough. I talked about it. Nope. I changed my mind. Change my. You know what? I, yeah. I'm gonna take that back. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not the case with this book. Uh so. Also kind of a crazy, relentless pursuit in mine. Not the great side of it. Mm-hmm. In my book this week, it's called Saint X by Alexis Shatkin. Mm. It was published in 2020. And the book opens on the island of Saint X, which is a Caribbean island that hosts a luxury resort. And seven-year-old Claire and her sister Allison, who's in her first year of college, and her parents are there. It's after Christmas. You know, they're doing the like, oh, we're on a tropical vacation thing for a week. It's great. Everything's wonderful. Until the night before they're supposed to leave, Allison disappears. They can't find her anywhere. The next morning comes. They still can't find her. The time for their flight comes and goes. She's still not back. So, of course, Claire and her parents are in full-on panic. Claire, being seven, is trying to take this all in. And a few days later, Allison's body's found in in a K that's off the island. So what happens from there is this kind of dissatisfying weird investigation that ends up naming these two suspects but then the timeline doesn't quite fit and there's not enough evidence but it's like the only thing they have so her family is like this is what has to happen but they're not getting anywhere so we go back they're back in the u.s they're trying to put their lives back together this becomes a hot story like there's um murder mysteries done about it and all kinds of investigations and they kind of live in this bubble We get through that, and then the story jumps years ahead to Claire out of college. She has a job. She's in New York, and she happens to get in a cab after a doctor's appointment. And something tells her to look at the cab driver and his picture, and she realizes that it's one of the suspects (gasps) in her sister's murder. And from there, she just can't deal. She's got to find out everything about this guy. She starts tailing him. She starts just her whole life becomes, I need to know what happened to my sister. And I will tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything more than that because it goes some places and it is such an interesting story. As someone who reads a lot of thrillers, a lot of mysteries, a lot of true crime, I love this idea because we get the crime at the beginning, but we're very focused on the aftermath of that, mm-hmm. how society takes it, and then how her family deals with that, the aftermath of that, the aftermath for these two suspects of what their lives have become. And it's such a rich story that's, yeah, it's centered on a crime, but that's not really what the story ends up being about. Mm-hmm. It ends up being about, you know, this relentless pursuit for the truth, but what is actually the truth? And if it's not a satisfying conclusion, was it worth it? Wow. That it could is. be said a lot for like our whole true crime culture. Yes, too. that's like, what I kept thinking. Yeah. Is this is actually really a very interesting commentary on the whole genre. Mm-hmm. Just how we take it. And and it reminds me a lot of like our conversation with Sarah Weinman. Yeah. Um, some of the other things that I've read this year about the exploitative nature of that sometimes mm-hmm. and how we need to be careful of towing that line of when we're using that for pure entertainment or when we're using it to hold a lens to something yeah so i i think it's great obviously for this theme for relentless pursuit but just a very interesting fictionalized look at the drama of a situation like this and how it how it can play out and how it can have such spider effects spider leg effects for everyone involved i really like those kind of stories that yes. look at maybe the the person that you're not really thinking about like the younger sister and then you know how that affects yes her yeah growing up it was I, it was hard to put down it was very engrossing and i enjoyed it i thought it was really well written um the author had some really interesting writing techniques to make you kind of feel like you were there like the beginning of the book opens and she writes in a way that makes you feel like you're on the vacation with them kind mm. of like you're in this very tropical you know feeling and very very interesting so. i could use that i could use that idea of just right? being on a vacation somewhere yeah I mean, I know I have some days off, but it's not really like a trip vacation. Right. You know? Yeah. That's not the same as when you like go somewhere and you're away. Yeah. Yeah. And all your worries just melt away. Melt into the white sand. (laughs) Into your pina colada. (laughs) Until the murder happens. Until murder. Yes. Yep. Murder. (laughs) It's also an interesting look at the behind the scenes of 
a resort on an island oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I bet. They had basically no uh, economy to speak of prior yeah. to building this luxury resort. And then uh-huh. how wrapped up all the people of the island become in that and dependent on it. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. I bet there's some love triangles at that hotel. Oh, there are. There's some very interesting ones. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, other genre book. Yes. I've got... A graphic memoir, sort of, but okay. it's a little bit of nonfiction, too. It's a really cool hybrid in a graphic Ooh. form. It's called Wake, the Hidden History of Women-Led Slave Revolts. It's by wow. Dr. Rebecca Hall, and the illustrator is Hugo Martinez. And this just came out maybe a month ago. Okay. So Dr. Rebecca Hall is a historian, and she's also a granddaughter of slaves. Mm -hmm. And during her PhD research, she's exploring slave revolts, the Mm -hmm. idea of both revolts on the ships that were brought over, on plantations themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole kind of thing. Um, And the story of slave revolts, you know, the one that she keeps seeing is one of like a few major uprisings, all of them led by men, Mm -hmm. right? But she wants to know about the women. And what she finds in her research is that women played a huge role in fighting back against the slave trade and slave law. And this is so cool as a graphic novel memoir because it brings in some of her research process as mm. she's doing this. It's showing like court records. It's showing slave captains, uh, slave ship captains logs. It's showing mm. like parchment letters and even evidence from the quote Negro burying ground in Manhattan. Mm. And there are women fighters everywhere. You know, if she is, she's finding where to look, how to look, you know, sort of understanding the language of that time, and she's finding them everywhere. And plus, with all this research, the book creates these, um, she she gets mention of a couple particular women in a few different records. And she then, from what she's learning, as well as what she knows on in her other research, she extrapolates that and creates these potential histories of mm-hmm. these women in this graphic novel form. So it's a really cool sort of imagination of what, you know, those women had to deal with. Right. And... And then at the same time, we're following Rebecca's own story of her life um, shaped by, you know, the legacy of slavery, as well as like even when she's out doing some research, she's constantly getting pushback from all these white curators, you know, like, oh, you don't need to look at that. Oh, you don't need to like, what the fuck are you doing? So I chose it for this theme for two reasons. Uh, Rebecca herself, she's a driven historian. She Mm -hmm. she knows there's stories out there with these women in the past, and she's persisting in finding them through old records, through erased records, through asshole curators and historians. Yeah. And through like her own sort of struggles with her mental health as she's going through this. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is tough to take in to know that people that look like you, that people that are in some way related to you went through all of this. Yeah. And I chose it for the scene because of the women themselves they are driven to escape this hell that they've been captured in by any means possible and there's one story that was really interesting to me that in the slave ships the slavers put everyone all the men and women that they captured into the the bottom you know the mm-hmm. hold or, or yeah, whatever yeah. the cargo area but as soon as the ship left port they brought the women up on the deck and because they're like, ah, the women won't escape. They'll be fine. It's, you know, whatever. Now, some of it's gross because they were trying to you right. know, yeah. get on the women. But because of that, because they just had no concept that women would be like fighting back, a ton of women did. They orchestrated a lot of revolts. Now, a lot of them led to mass suicides just to get off those ships. But it was led by those women that nobody like gave any sort of credence to. Wow. So this is a fascinating yeah. book. It's a fascinating story. It's told in a really cool way. And yeah. Wow. Relentless. When you were ta- speaking at the beginning and you said that this was part of her, you know, PhD mm-hmm. um, thesis and research, it kind of, I said, oh yeah, that what in my head, I was like relentless. Talk about relentless, yeah, you know, no thesis kidding. and those type of things. But then I thought, you know, we didn't even discuss at the beginning how relentless it can be for an author to get a book out. You know, how much, yes. and you know better than anyone right now <laughs> with a book coming out in October, the amount of work it takes to write the book mm-hmm. and then to try to market that book to someone to get the book. And then you think people, I think, have this misnomer that it's done mm-hmm. after that. And then there's so much more work after that of getting it out there and getting the right attention, finding the right person to champion it. And there's the work of battling past your own imposter syndrome. Yeah. As well as just the the constant like, am I doing this right? Yeah. Am I going to get everything? Am I fucking this up? Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff, too. 
I think to be a writer and to be someone who puts books out into the world, you have to have an element of relentlessness. I mean, I there has right. to be a passion there because it's you're going to be turned away at almost every point. Well, like you said, or like we've said before, too, like so many writers, like no one's asking you to do this. So you have to really believe in what right, you're doing. Right. You yeah. have to really pursue it relentlessly. You have to put yourself out there and get rejected again and again mm-hmm. and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me as a, as a lover of books and like an avid reader and, you know, we, you know, being privileged enough to talk about books all the time on a podcast, but I, it's so odd to me when I hear those stories because I think, oh, but we want all the books. Like we want all the books, you know, you kind of, as a reader, you, you tend to sort of gloss over the work that it takes sometimes to get a really good book out there to Mm -hmm. get people to pay attention to it. You know, I think we're familiar with the machine that is big publishing and big names, but a lot of the books we talk about on here they need a champion behind them to get them out mm-hmm. there. And usually they have something really important to say. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of these like smaller mm-hmm. presses, a lot of the ones that are willing to take risks and mm-hmm. tell stories that maybe no one else is telling. Yeah. And yeah, there's a definite relentlessness, relentlessness there. Yeah. yeah. And I think Great that that's, point. it's a very unique field in that sense mm-hmm. that getting you know there's not a lot of other career paths that you could get rejected 41 times and then go well I'm going to try a 40 second mm-hmm. you know if I'm trying to become a meteorologist and I go to 41 stations and they're like there's terrible. probably something wrong you're terrible yeah. you're not it's not happening yeah I don't know that I'm getting up and going to 42 <laughs> I'm just not. It is really true. You've said that before that in, in not many other fields is there this sort of just assumption that, yeah, you're going to get rejected a shitload before mm-hmm. anything happens. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because you're judging someone's art form and you have to find the right person that grips into what you're trying to say that yeah. then can communicate that to other people, which is there's a magic to that, but there's also a frustration to that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Well, good for her for sticking with it and yeah. bringing it out and... Definitely. When everyone was telling her, hey, yeah. shut up. And when are people going to learn that when you say don't look at that, people want to look at they it more. They want to look at it more. You don't need to know that. It's always going to make someone want to know that. It's 101. Cripes. Well, um, my other genre book this week is a uh, collection of essays called The Empathy Exams oh, by Leslie Jameson. I've heard of this so many times and I've never read it. It's It was published in 2014. Um, And it really is a set of essays examining the idea of empathy and whether or not it's a beneficial tool to judge others by. Like, what position should we be taking on how other people feel and how they process their emotions? Because there is a lot in our society that's based on, well, that person didn't feel right or they're not they don't have the right emotions in this situation or yes. they're not processing that correctly. Oh, my God. Think about all the coverage of every single trial of yes. every single you know, accusation. Yes. Mm, are they acting right? Yeah. And what is the right way? Yes. What is that? And so she really, really digs in and examines her own pain and others and their reactions to pain and kind of compares and how we as humans process things and then how that has an effect on how we view other people and what we're empathetic to and what we're not empathetic to. Um, and I think it's it's a deep topic and it brings up a lot of feelings, but she has a wonderful writing style that sort of gets you in this rhythm where you're l- just enjoying the story for what it is. And then you're like, oh, wait, yeah, that's a really good point. Ooh. And then you kind of you're enjoying this, you know, the essay again. And then you're like, well, wait, what does that mean about me? <laughs> I, I, I just felt like I was very, very engrossed in this. And I will tell you that um, usually when I say engrossed, it means I read it really fast. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't put it down. And I wouldn't say that that's the way I read this book. I read it slow because it was so impactful yeah. and deep. And there was a lot of information I felt like. And I was taking a lot in through my own lens and then her lens and thinking about other people in my life. It starts with an essay about her being paid as a medical actor, like that they go in and they, for students, they have to act out symptoms so that they can try and diagnose and get to things. And 
it's this really interesting take on that of her having symptoms that can't be identified and how like a medical student or a doctor relates to that and how a person that's trying to explain these symptoms relates to that. And she goes on a deep dive into um, some groups of people that have illnesses that are very rare but very painful and how they've maybe been treated by medical professionals. Like, oh, it's a mental thing. It's Mm -hmm. not actually physically happening to you. Um, And... But then she also take you down paths of like some very intimate personal things that happened to her that could be painful. And the ability to do that and to do both of those things in one book and in essays, it really is powerful. And it really does make you think a lot about what does it mean to feel? And do we all have to feel the same way for it to be real? Oh, wow. Does it have to be recognized by someone to be a real thing? Mm -hmm. Or is your feeling enough? Which... That's a huge Yeah. I think that's a feeling that everyone struggles with at some point. Whether they put words on it or not. Yeah. I think we all struggle with it. Do I feel feel the same as other people? Am I feeling things right? Am I feeling things wrong? Yeah. Is it okay for me to feel this way? Mm -hmm. Should I have this feeling? We assign a lot of morality to feelings. Like that's I shouldn't feel that way. I should be happy for that person. Or, you know, this is just my own feelings about it. it. Instead of just sort of embracing what and where feelings come from and and the empathy associated with them. So I picked this as a relentless pursuit because the whole time that I was reading this, I thought how difficult this book must have been to write, Mm -hmm. to be immersed in this. I know talking about feelings for me can feel like a lot. And so to be immersed that you're writing a book about it and to be thinking so critically about all of these things that are happening and what that means had to be very overwhelming. Wow. Yeah. And very difficult, but the product is amazing. But I just kept thinking about the personal toll mm-hmm. that I had to take and how relentless you had to be to get this message out because it had to just be draining. I to think write. more and more that every writer should have a therapist because, yeah. you know, just to be able to, because, yeah, something like that, it sounds like you're really mining some, maybe some past stuff, some yes. current stuff, some things that. If you feel shame about, mm-hmm. and that that is tough to do on your own. And we've talked to many authors in our Broads Talk Bookquist series who say that one of the difficult parts, especially nonfiction writers yes. or those that have written memoirs, that's difficult is you're putting it out there and then people feel like an ownership on your pain or mm-hmm. your trauma. You know, we've had examples of people standing up and being like, you know, you've been traumatized. You need a therapist or whatever. Yes. And to... Put that out there in such a way and know that that's going to be taken by some people. Something so personal has to feel very, I, I don't even know how you would begin to deal with that. And then the opposite side of that, if people like read that and really internal and feel yes. so like, oh my God, she's talking about me. Like somehow yeah. that's affected them. That's a wonderful thing too, but that has to be also that's a burden too. challenging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I really highly recommend it. I think even if it's a book that you pick up and you read an essay here and then you let it sit for a while and you read another one, it's her writing is incredibly powerful and I think it's worth it. I recommend it. <laughs> is it real good? It's real good. Real good? It's real, real good. It's a real nice book and I recommend it. If we were to have like a rating system, it would just be like real good. And I recommend it. Uh huh. And I don't think we would have anything negative because we don't talk about books we don't, we don't talk like. About, yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. Real good is like the entry level. Because yeah. Because that's you know that's every book. That's where it has to be yeah. to get us to talk about it. So yeah. It's real good, <laughs> but it's real good with. Now we maybe we need a rating system from there. It's real right. good. Really, really good. Really, really good. Blew my socks off. Good. <laughs> Couldn't put it down good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Made me think a lot good. Oh, yeah. Had my emotions all over the place good. Had myself a good cry good. Had myself a good, good cry good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Kind of want to meet this person good. <laughs> this Terrified is- to meet this person good. <laughs> this is getting to be a very long scale. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's just a, a component for every book we've ever recommended. It's basically like a spectrum, because I think like so many of our books would be like a lot of those yes, different things. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It is like a spectrum. Yeah. I like that. A book spectrum. A book spectrum. Maybe we should work on that. Yeah. A real good book spectrum. A real good book spectrum. <laughs> you already got through the gate a real good. Now we're going to assign you a place. 
it, it, you know, it sounds like we're sort of attempting a real bad accent. That's just I, I know. I don't it, quite I'm know sorry, what I didn't we're doing. Yeah, I but wasn't. actually, it ties very well into what I'm going to recommend oh, for pop good. culture because okay. I'm recommending Ted Lasso oh, from 2020 yes. on Apple TV Plus. Have you re- have you watched this one? Okay, no, I don't have Apple TV. Okay, so well, I don't know how. Can you get things that are on Apple TV somewhere else? <sighs> That is an excellent question, and I do not have the answer to that. I feel like you can't. I feel like I tried, and you can't, and it's very disappointing. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about something that you can't have, and you're just going to have to struggle through it. It's okay. It just makes me want it more. (laughs) I'm going to look further into that, and I will update next week. Even if you get one Apple device anywhere, even if it's a tiny little thing, you then get an Apple account, and you can watch it on your TV. Okay. So, just saying. Okay. All right. So, here's what... Here's a show that you can watch if you are disappointed by the world. Oh, And you will feel better. Okay. Um, Ted Lasso is played by Jason Sudeikis. Mm -hmm. And he he is a NCAA football coach who gets tapped to coach at a UK football team, which is what we know is soccer, but, Mm -hmm. you know, very Mm -hmm. different. He knows nothing about soccer, but he is brought in to coach this team. He's never been to the UK either. So he has no idea that these are rabid fans, that there is a very distinct football culture here that he has no idea what he's getting into oh no he's in way over his head especially since in the first episode we learned that the team's owner is banking on him to fail but ted is good at coaching no matter what sport like he just has an ability as you see very early on to find what makes his athletes tick and to help them be better at the sport and in their life. So so slowly, like, he just is relentlessly positive. He is hopeful to, you know, a a hilarious extent. Um, He starts to win over the team and the fans and even his boss. And the boss, by the way, she uh, is... She's owned the team. She got the team as part of a divorce. And so she is trying to really stick it to her asshole ex by driving this team into the ground, Uh hence bringing Jason Sudeikis in. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jason Sudeikis himself, just terrific. Just that wonderful combination of, I mean, he's hilarious, obviously, but it's that sort of like hopefulness, that positiveness that is great. And the supporting characters are phenomenal, especially the woman that plays the boss, um, and a few of the players are so fun to watch. And I chose it for this theme because Ted is just, he's constantly underestimated because he is hopeful, because he is positive. People th- look at him and think, you are naive, you are so dumb. Yeah. Uh, but he's way smarter, way savvier than people think he is. And he's just driven to help people. And he sees people in a very honest way. And that's what's so compelling about the show, I think. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a real world show that's funny and delightful and great. It's real good. It's real, real good. <laughs> well, I, I know. I may, I'm going to do the research because I've I heard it. And the next season or something starting soon. Yeah, okay? it's, yeah. yeah, I just rewatched it because I needed it. Yeah. And because the second season is starting. And yeah, I'm trying to think if there's this way to get it. There has to be. Because how would to they be. just make... Con- it would be, you know... They wouldn't be good man- money makers. No, if they no. Didn't. I'm sure it's a thing like you could probably pay for. Yeah, right, somewhere. You yeah, know? yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right, well. we're gonna we're gonna get this okay. for you. We're gonna figure this out. We're gonna figure it out. Yes. Good. Well, I also decided that a sitcom was in order. Yes. A, good. A comedy good, good, good. show. I don't know if it's a traditional sitcom, but it's called Black Monday. It's a series oh, on Showtime. You just got into this. I, did I haven't it. seen it yet. We blew through it. I mean, we are up to date. It's in its third season now, I believe, going, you know, uh, just started. But the whole premise is that we travel back to October 19, 1987, which is referred to as Black Monday because it was the worst stock market crash in the history of Wall Street. And to this day, no one knows what caused it until now. And this is supposedly the the behind-the-scenes story of how a group of outsiders caused the biggest financial meltdown in history. Oh, that's and wonderful. So the premise is that Don Cheadle's character mm-hmm. runs his own investment group mm-hmm. on the on Wall Street. And he's got some some power players. And by power players I mean some real idiots. Yeah. They're uh-huh. they're nuts, but great in their own way. Regina Hall is mm. like his right-hand woman. She's amazing. She's really kind of the brains of the operation. That sounds about right. Right? Yeah. We got Paul Shear who plays a guy oh my who is not great at his job, Mm-mm. but 
gosh, he's really good at but sucking he's up. He's a mediocre white man. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, so great. Uh, Horatio Sands plays oh. some, comes in and out of it. Andrew uh, Reynolds is in Andrew it. I love Andrew Reynolds so much. He's amazing in it. So great. Uh, uh, Casey Wilson <laughs> is unbelievable. There's so many people in this that are just. It makes it so phenomenal. And I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard great things, but it is beyond funny. But also, there's also these moments where you're like, wow. Like, Regina Hall's character, you know, she's a black woman and she's female in this really male-dominated field and no one takes her seriously. And she kind of has to degrade herself to a level to kind of act like they do to get taken seriously. (laughs) And then, you know, these ideas that she has that are amazing that get taken by other people and passed off as their own. Um, terrific Don Cheadle's character who is just so set on being the best and the things he's willing to sacrifice amazing there's so many other things I don't want to tell you because they come as little surprises that are Mm -hmm. so enjoyable but it is by far my favorite character is Regina Hall's character she's she's just great and she's this role I don't know if they wrote it for her like I can't imagine anyone else doing it as well as she's doing it it is wonderful and it's so funny and also it's like a great blast from the past because it's the 80s well i've seen like pictures from it because i follow yeah. andrew rannells oh on yeah instagram and and the, there's there's some clothes that yes and now we're terrific. moving into the 90s in the oh. third season and that's hilarious like just the comments that they keep making and it's wonderful and and they ha- there's actually a lot really being said underneath the humor, which mm-hmm. is my favorite kind of comedy. When yes. on the face, it's hilarious, but it's also extra hilarious if you know kind of what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. You'll love it. We absolutely devoured it. Yes. I know that you got Showtime yeah. just for that. I did. I did. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about doing the same thing. I'm, I I have to admit, I'm a huge Casey Wilson fan. And I, I mean, stumbled upon a podcast be? that yeah. she was on. And I had heard of the show before that, but then she was talking about being on set. And I was like, okay, I need to commit to this because I just and her husband is one of the creators and writers oh okay so that's kind of part of it but her character is like if I was going to be an actress that's the type of role I'd want to play it's just (laughs) ridiculous and amazing so she's the heir to a a Jean Fortune oh wow which you're you're kind of led to think might be like Jordash Uh but it's Georgina Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of discussion mm-hmm. about that and like Z Cavaricis. Oh, so if you yes. 80s, 90s, I mean, yes. it's prime. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Did you ever want to be an actor? Or an no, actress? Yeah. no. Mm-hmm. I never did either. Mm-hmm. Like I loved movies growing up, but yeah. I always knew like, no, that's not for me. Like that's not something no. I, I would enjoy doing. No, I... If I had one regret or I thought that my life was going to go a different direction, I would have loved to be a comedy writer, like go work on even like an everyday show like um, Jon Stewart when his show Mm -hmm. started, SNL, something like that. I love the idea of like a writer's room and collaboration and I love humorous writing. And I think that if you're good at it, like that's so it's such a talent to be able to do it. And so I'm. I would have maybe tried that. Mm-hmm. Like I could see really enjoying that side of it, but in front of the camera, absolutely not. Yeah. Never. Not a chance. Yeah. No way. I think you would thrive as a comedy writer. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we're we're doing some of it through this. Right. You're delivering yes. comedy every yes. week. Every week I come with the heavy hitting, <laughs> well-written comedy, as we know. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I'm gonna get you one way or another gonna get you you're gonna um, love this podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh ziggy did not prove to be relentless no. he left very early in so this recording early. i thought for sure we would have a lot of meows we would have some you know he was playing with the cord that connects us and it was semi-offensive how quickly he yeah. left he was like oh that's what you're doing oh, oh oops, never mind no no no, no. No. There was also, before recording started, some eye-staring contests. We did. We had a moment yeah. where I would not break eye contact, <laughs> and he meowed at me, not happily. I made him uncomfortable, so probably going to get an HR warning about that. You're the only human other than me that he is interested in at all. Everyone else scares him. Right. But you, because you don't try to touch him, because right. you are deathly allergic, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, huh. All right, I like her. What's happening here? Yeah. She doesn't want my affection. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want you to rub on me. <laughs> I will la- allow it because it is your home and I don't want you to be uncomfortable. But in terms of things I want to have happen, it's not on the list. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think he, doesn't, he senses he, that and is like, I don't know what to do with this. That's true. But, you know, as far as other people's desires, he don't give a shit. No. Yeah. No. Cats are inherently selfish. Very. But yeah. that's kind of their magic. That is their magic. I yeah. wish we could just be that selfish and get right? away with it and be rewarded for it. Yes. They're like spirit animals. Yeah. Like the more weird you get, the more hoops I'll jump through to make you happy. Yes. That is true. The weirder his behavior gets, like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you don't want to drink out of a bowl? Okay, I'll get you your own special glass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you don't like to eat over here? Okay, I'll move it, yep. you know, over here and make a path. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like you're directly addressing no, things that I've done. No, I was just I've thinking done. of an example. Okay, actually, what okay. I was thinking of was when you were so dedicated to Fiona that you actually <laughs> bought her sardines, which was oh, yeah, a huge I forgot about leap that. for you. That was not good That's since I, I am knew, vegan. Yeah, that your love, I was like, her love knows no bounds. Yeah. Like, she really, truly... This cat does not understand how good she has it because Mm-mm. this human that she found is like, I will do this for you. I hate it. I, I hate am it. Fighting back vomit at this moment. So much vomit. But this is for you. But it's for you. Yeah. And I'm gonna do it because mm-hmm. that's what you need. And you I did. Yeah, I did like um that before we were recording, you said that uh since we were talking about Fiona, uh that she would be very upset with me right now because yes. I am cleaning up the basement that mm-hmm. was her murder basement. Yes. And I haven't, I, I've been getting a lot of dust mm-hmm. in my lungs, which maybe is from a hundred years of dust, or it might be all the bodies that she killed. Yeah. That I, have decomposed. I've taken to calling it bone dust. Yes. Bone That's dust. Getting in your lungs. <laughs> so, yeah, I have to imagine that in whatever like, spirit what world doing? she's in, she's not happy. That's my lair. Yeah. That's where I tried to murder Aaron so many times. Yes. Well, because you said that the the other podcasts have been kind of like sometimes interested, not yeah. interested. Mm-hmm. And I think Fiona would have just, she would have made this project impossible yes, in some way. In some way, she would have stopped That's this. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these cats, they're more just interested, but also at one point, Thelma peed in a box yesterday because she had had enough. Yeah. And I said, I okay. I just don't want you to miss a meal time. Yeah. I think that's what that was. Like, just don't get so wrapped up that we Which forget what's I was, important. I was hungry and I wasn't recognizing my own hunger. And she was like, listen, listen you're going to recognize this pee. Yeah. That's it, where it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And you'll have to go upstairs and then you realize you're hungry mm-hmm. and it'll be great. You're right. It was just for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know you. <laughs> the good news is that we'll be back next Wednesday with another great new episode. Probably more podcast adventures, too. So much. In yeah. the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and to me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just. It's just fact. <laughs> and because now this is this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.